What it, What does it mean? <laughs> Joe, it's from that, like, comic strip. Same hat. No. But it's like two men passing each other in the street. They're both wearing the same hat. They say same hat. <laughs> I'm Catherine Foyle, and this is not not a podcast. It's also not not just a friendly chat. It is not not a philosophical endeavor, and it's not not pop cultural analysis. This is an experiment in the spirit of black metal theory, which is described by Nicola Massiandaro as not black metal, not theory, not not black metal, not not theory, black metal theory. Theoretical blackening of metal. So it's not this like a black metal theory podcast, although I mean, just it could be. It's not not a black metal theory exactly. podcast. Um, but we're very interested in the idea of like making two things talk about each other, um, and that is what this is going to be, hopefully. But you'll discover it at the same time as us. Um, but basically, we're gonna make two things match up. <laughs> Uh, in some way that we don't yet know um, in whatever way is appropriate to those two things and those two things could be anything it's but probably a film and a book I mean definitely a film or a book definitely a film and a book because those (laughs) those are the two lists that we have Um, we list the films and we list the books and we will generate a random selection from each list then we'll go away we'll make a thing with them and then we'll come back once we've read the things know more about all the stuff we're talking about and explain things to you uh, from, again, a, like a purely non-expert point of view. Neither of us has studied like philosophy or comparative literature. We have studied well, philosophy. that's not true. So. We have studied philosophy. <laughs> but like, we're not... Neither of us have like degrees in philosophy or like close reading uh, or that sort of thing. Yeah, we studied philosophy for one semester and in wrote, college. And we both wrote like undergraduate theses on black metal theory mm-hmm. um, and then we've like written and done some stuff since then I also want to be clear in terms of like the black metal stuff because whenever I say that I just assume that at the very least people will know what black metal is mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll talk for about it for kind of two minutes and then someone will go black metal, like the music like with the face paint and yes, yes like the music with the face paint and the church burning that's the one I'm sure we'll get into that later at some point, but it's not... We definitely will. It's not important to... I mean, maybe not in this episode, but... Stay tuned. Who can say? I guess we're going to go ahead and pick 
the two things we're going to talk about and make a thing with. Um, and how we're going to do that is we just have a list and we're going to randomly generate a number from that list so I guess we'll do films first yes okay and then we can talk about whatever film it is okay um, and then do the other one yeah absolutely okay Quiva has an advantage because she has the lists so oh sorry no it's just I can't remember what the films are that are on the list so this is going to be a total surprise to me <laughs> well it's going to be very exciting there's also we should say not just films but like TV series as well so it could be a TV series yeah these are rudimentary lists at the moment that while well, there are connecting things are mostly just things that me and Quiva thought would be cool so if there's something that you think would be cool once you kind of got the <laughs> idea of what we're talking about um by all means, tell us, and we may not put it on the list, um, but we, we might. Put it on the list. Okay, I am generating the film number right now. Okay, it's number 16. Number 16. Which is Predestination. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> which is, is that that film? That is the film, it's an Ethan Hawke it's yeah, sci-fi it's one vehicle. so I mean there's a lot here that's going to be just really something to talk about there's like there's obviously gender stuff to go into yes. there's time travel stuff it's yes. a time travel movie with Ethan Hawke but it's weird because like there is this line about kind of zombies at the end but I think it's like a metaphor I don't remember the zombie line yeah. I do remember that I hate this film. Oh no. So. I mean, I don't hate it. I just am really baffled by its existence. But yeah. I think, yeah. We I just... think I mostly hated it because I didn't think that it made any fucking sense whatsoever. Yeah. I think I'm, yeah. I think my objection to it at the time, which we did enjoy it, we're excited to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but like, my main objection to it at the time was that there is a subplot where actually it's not a subplot because it's all the one plot mm-hmm. everything ties together yes um because it's a time travel movie but there's a bit where it seems like a main character is going to go to space and mm-hmm. we're like holy shit this movie is going to space yeah and then it doesn't it doesn't no, go to space nobody goes to space so that's just a bit of a bummer in a sci-fi film where you think you're gonna go to space and you're like how are they gonna do that this film has zero budget and uh the answer is they're not gonna go to space Mm. Yeah, so basically it's predestination. Why don't we like look up what year that came out? But that's an Ethan Hawke movie. Excited yeah. to see that. There is some. I don't know whether I would say troubling gender stuff. There's some interesting gender stuff and some, like, they made yeah. not terrible decisions casting. Well, maybe they're terrible, but they're not as bad as they could be. This is true. Yeah. 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 So the other thing about predestination is, if you haven't seen it and you think from the description, no budget time travel movie with Ethan Hawke, that you're like, oh, I'd like to see that. You might want to pause this and watch that before we make something out of it, because it is a movie you can definitely spoil. Yeah. Like there's there is twists ahoy. So it is from Would You Believe two thousand and fourteen. 
I wouldn't. <laughs> just doesn't seem long ago enough to justify anything that's happening in the film. Um, I don't know if there's much else to say about predestination. No, just that there are. This is one of a few time travel things on our on our lists. Yeah, because we both quite like. In case you didn't guess, time travel. We're into time travel. <laughs> Okay, cool. I'm excited for a book book? reveal. Yes. Okay. Um, So the books also include short stories and comics. Our definition of book is pretty loose. Okay, I'm doing the book. So 14 is Good Omens. Find Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Jeez. So that's definitely going to be an interesting... Yeah. Combo with predestination. That is gonna be an interesting combo with predestination. There's definitely a baby swap angle, I think. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. There sure are babies in both in both of these things. Yeah, so Good Omens then is a book that we both really like, which is about a angel and a demon both attempting to avert the apocalypse because mm-hmm. they like Earth. Mm-hmm. Bizarrely. Yeah. Strange opinion to hold. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> I, right now, I'm like feeling pretty terrified about the prospect of like making these two things connect, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, they're very. I, I feel like, you know, they're quite different, but like most things, they're gonna have connections. Yeah. And I think it's they're. Just about trying to pull them out. Try to pull them out or just like make them up as we do the rest of the time with some third unknown source (laughs) and then we'll all get to learn something. But yeah, I mean, prophecy, Mm -hmm. like fate, Mm -hmm. that's like, like fate is a big element of pre- obviously, as you didn't assume from the name, fate is a big element of predestination. Um, Yeah. So like the, a big part, part of Good Omens is that inexplicably everything that happens happens according to this uh, book of prophecy mm-hmm. um, the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter as yes, I recall that's what it's called um, I feel like it's going to be a challenge but I mean the, the numbers have dictated yes this is what we're doing so 16 that's 14 so that is 30 not comes down to three so (laughs) you know it's got to be good okay so down to the magic of editing we have now seen and read our film and book and we're gonna talk about them and give you a little bit of a kind of a the story of each one 
um, and kind of like what happens to them so that we can like dive into what we like and don't like about them and like what they made us think of kind of so do you want to tell us a bit about Good Omens sir? Good Omens as I think we mentioned is written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman it was published in 1990 before either of us was born as you so terrifyingly mentioned (laughs) and um, it's been adapted into a radio show so it was a radio show in 2014 on the BBC and it was adapted into a TV show last year on Amazon Prime Yeah. so it's kind of like I guess like a cult classic but it's Mm. probably more popular than that now yeah. Since the TV show came out. Yeah, like I mean, I guess because it's such a, it's a bit of a neither fish nor fowl because Terry Pratchett's known for Discworld, obviously, and mm-hmm. then Neil Gaiman has his entire stick, and like Good Omens is not like the rest of his stick, except maybe his short stories. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, like the the style is very much more like a Terry Pratchett book, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with this like game and <laughs> this game and stuff in it, yeah, so it's almost like I don't know, like Douglas Adamsy or something. Mm, yeah, it is. It is a bit Douglas Adamsy. I didn't didn't really make that connection before. Wikipedia describes the plot as a comedy about the birth of the son of Satan and the coming of the end times, which like is technically true. Yeah. But there's a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, it also makes it sound like it's about the son of Satan, whereas, like, I mean, he's in it, but it's, like, not about him. Yeah. Um. Uh, Yeah, so really, like, the the book is about Aziraphale, who's an angel, and Crowley, who's a demon, and both of them have been stationed on Earth basically since it was created. Um... And they're kind of like enemies, but they're also pals. Um, so basically, like they're on either side of this divide, but mostly their loyalties lie with Earth, like because they've basically lived there since it was founded. Yeah. And they've grown really fond of it. Yeah. So basically, they are called upon to, you know, make the end of the world happen, mm-hmm. and decide to kind of do their best to make it not happen mm-hmm. um, and kind of run up against the powers that be and fate and just like I mean being pretty incompetent at their jobs as well they- yeah <laughs> yeah so the plan by I guess hell is to put the son of Satan on earth and then when he comes of age he'll like bring about the apocalypse so they come up with this plan to like be part of the child's upbringing so like one of them disguises themselves as a gardener i think and the other one disguises themselves as a nanny and then they like their plan basically is to kind of raise the baby so that he'll actually turn out neither good or evil just like a normal human and then on the child's 11th birthday they're supposed to uh, summon this like hellhound and that's supposed to start the whole thing and basically they find out on the 11th birthday that they've actually been trying to manipulate the wrong baby this whole time yeah. so there was like a baby swap 
in the convent where the son of Satan was born and they sent the baby to the wrong house. Right? Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's there's full-on baby swap shenanigans for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so like, takes ages, then it's like, okay, he's 11, or what the fuck now? And yeah, the rest of it is kind of a romp trying to like, where a bunch of people are trying to find out, or trying to find the son of Satan yeah at the same time because they know they have like a week and so you've got a witch finder trying to find him you've got a witch trying to find him and you've got this demon and angel working together trying to find him mm-hmm. um, and then you've got the other like the other demons and angels as well mm-hmm. who were also so I think like everybody thought the, the son was in this one place and he was in a different place yeah right yeah but yeah, so I mean, essentially, in a way, their plan kind of worked because without either, because nobody knew where the kid was, he essentially he essentially grows up human. It's not really true. Like he, you know, mm-hmm. gets a bit satanic at one point. Yeah, that's broadly the plot. Uh, and then, is there anything like worth mentioning that we're gonna wanna come back to, like any elements? Yeah. So I think one of the key things to mention is Agnes Nutter, right? So she's um, a witch, I guess from the past mm-hmm. from from times where witches existed yeah whenever that was in the canon of this book ye olde times yeah and she has basically written a book called the nice and accurate prophecies of agnes nutter which in which she describes all of these events right in the lead up to the end of the world yeah essentially but the way that she, she describes them, you know, it's not, it's all very like kind of cryptic. So they all have to be, all her predictions have to be interpreted. Yeah. Right. So that book is in the possession of her descendant, Anathema. And so she is also trying to prevent the apocalypse. And she also lives in the same town as Adam, who's the real son of Satan. Yeah. The there's a something about that she sees see stuff that relates to her descendants. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah. So you she know doesn't that personal connection. Yeah, she doesn't see things. Yeah, she doesn't just like predict everything that's gonna happen. It's like everything that's gonna happen to someone who's descended from her. Yeah. Essentially. So like they have to kind of Anathema kind of has to be there at the end of the world, otherwise she wouldn't know about it really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but so that's really like that. I that kind of the idea that this is like the one true book of prophecy. Um, I mean, it's kind of in a way, it's the most interesting thing in the book, really. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, but it's a good book. It's a bit of crack. Um, I mean, how did we feel that it stood up? It was good. I realized that there's like an awful lot of fucking filler I think I think there is I don't know if there's a lot of filler or it's just like badly structured but like yeah so I started like highlighting things that were like um racist <laughs> yeah um <laughs> did you like give up after a few pages just like yeah and even the, some of the non-racist bits are racist <laughs> the city in question was the capital of Kambola land an African nation which had been at peace for the last 3,000 years. For about 30 years, it was Sir Humphrey Clarkson land, 
But since the country had had, uh, had absolutely no mineral wealth and the strategic importance of a banana, it was accelerated towards self-government with almost unseemly haste. Camboland was poor, perhaps, and undoubtedly boring, but peaceful. Its various tribes, who got along with one another quite happily, had long since beaten their swords into plowshares. A fight had broken out in the city square in 1952 between a drunken ox driver and an equally drunken ox thief. People were still talking about it. Mm. So it's like, there's stuff going on in what's not being said and what's being like alluded mm. to. Mm. Well, like, it's basically because it's written by two Englishmen. Yeah. And they can't help themselves. Yeah, it's just like they're trying to like... Colonial lens. But like they're doing... (laughs) Yeah. And they're just like doing Englishness so hard at like... Yeah. The whole... Oh, this... I mean, this race is just fucking gross. Like, I thought it was disgusting. She looked like a famine relief poster with style. That's my... uh, my uh, least favourite line. You wouldn't get away with that today now. It's no, you like, wouldn't. But it's like, even the bits that aren't like actively offensive in a specific way are yeah. still obnoxious. Yeah. People who knew what it meant and could spell it might add vivacious. Fuck off! <laughs> yeah, like there's definitely a lot of it that's got like a, like a severe air of superiority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't take any notes of like, but I remember like some bits where I was just like, mm, that's classist. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I didn't, I didn't mark them, sadly. But you know, you'll pick up on the classism as you read it, I think. Yeah. There's a lot of like really good times where they just like state like what the book's about. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm hmm. You know, fucking page one, I think. Uh, oh no, page six, excuse me. You know, Ezra Fell says, You can't second guess inevitability. I always say, There's right and there's wrong. If you do wrong what you're told to do right, you deserve to be punished. Um, and like, that was like the most frustrating bit of predestination is people being like, You know, maybe it's just. Maybe it's just predestined. Mm hmm. Which was especially annoying, as he was literally doing it himself. It's like... <laughs> if it was predestined, he wouldn't have to do this shit. Yeah. If this thought gained possession of you, it would change you as you are, or perhaps crush you. The question in each and everything, do you desire this once more, and innumerable times more, would lie upon your actions as the greatest weight. Friedrich Nietzsche. Not innumerable times, unfortunately. Just once more. Uh, okay, uh, so I spotted this place last week, uh, but I haven't had time to come back until today. It's, uh, it's really amazing. It was definitely a library at some point, or maybe just some rich guy's personal collection. Uh, either way, most of the books are still here. They all seem pretty obscure. Uh, Nightwood, Die Fralich, uh, Wissenschaft? I guess that's German. Uh, the Eternal Return? Uh, most of these books seem to be stories about time travel, or theory about time travel. Oh, no, there's one about reincarnation. 3.46pm. So... 
I've been looking around for a while, and the weirdest thing is that even though a lot of the books have publication dates from only a few years ago, they um, they all look like they're hundreds of years old. Uh, all crumbly yellow pages, and so much dust, like, no one's been here for centuries. Huh, uh, that's so weird. I, I just accidentally played back the recorder, and the last recording says it was from 2031? <laughs> what? This thing. February 12th, 2031, 5.23 a.m. I know what you did. I know what you're going to do. Since uh, recording the rest of the episode, we've since watched um, Amazon's Good Omen series. Mm -hmm. Did we like it? I mean, no. no. I didn't <laughs> like it, that's for sure. We liked some of it. There's bits that work, and then there's all of the rest of it. There's the other 90% mm. of the show that just doesn't work. Yeah. Um. Well, the thing is that, like, David Tennant, specifically David Tennant, is just doing the absolute most in a way that's, like, really enjoyable. Yeah. And so that kind of just, like, carries the rest of the show along, 100%. I think. Yeah. Like, because all of their scenes are like really good and then all the rest of it is not yeah it's not good i would agree with that i would also <laughs> say that the like big free will aspect of it is completely bungled by the show mm. um not so insofar as as our fellow crowley are concerned that's pretty good there's some good additions towards the end but in terms of adam fucked up <laughs> well it's it's just like you don't really even know what adam is thinking or like do you know what i mean yeah like the acting is not good but also the writing is not good on him and so you never really know like are we supposed to think that he's like sort of a scary evil child all the time because his parents seem kind of like scared of him right yeah but then they never you never really see anything that he does that's scary until like yeah until he's like this the stuff starts happening and he starts like levitating and shit and then it's like oh god yeah you know? yeah it's, it's like it's such a like Switch. Everybody's always talking about how this incredibly boring child is so charismatic yeah. and like makes everybody <laughs> do stuff and has a great imagination. It's like, where is the fucking proof? Yes, exactly. Um. Anyway, it's like really bad, and the voice of God. I'm sorry, Francis McDormand is also bad. Um, bad audition, and every scene is way too long, and. Uh, the bit where we see Ezra Fils and Crowley's friendship throughout the ages is really good, but why is it the introduction to an episode? You can't drop your episode title 30 minutes in! Yeah, that's crazy, that bit. What episode is that? Like, episode three? Episode three or four? Like... Yeah, where it's just like, oh, I thought we were already watching the show. This was the intro. Also... It's been half an hour. I mean, if if nothing else that we say about the show, we end up including. I just want to say that you cannot have your like 
girl child who's like empowered and shit be like <laughs> give out about fucking misogyny and feminism and then like for no reason just like she's like 12 years old just like <laughs> call somebody a bitch and like stab them <laughs> Yeah, their their approach to feminism is misguided, I think. I think that is what we can say. I think yeah, that'd be fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's really bad is the bit in like the second last episode where they're trying to show the four kids like riding to the airbase, but like one of the kids just like can't stay in shot. <laughs> oh. And they're just like you're like, oh, is there four kids? Oh, yeah, there he is. And then he's like, gone again. <laughs> and it's like, they obviously just couldn't, they probably just didn't have the time to, like, reshoot or something. Oh they couldn't keep him in the frame. And they were just like, it's fine. It's fine. Everybody it's, gets it. It's four kids, four, four horsemen. I mean, we get it. It's so insane. <laughs> I think it was meant to, like, be a joke, but I don't get the joke. Like, the first time they all go to cycle off, and he goes in uh, in another direction, you're like, oh, he's off to do something. And yeah. then he just turns he the just fuck turns around, around and follows them. It's like, who is this child? Did you not have another shot of that where they all cycle in the same <laughs> direction? I don't get it. Oh. And then, like, later they're at the airbase, and, like, they're cycling through the gate, and, like, the way Adam is cycling, he like cycles in front of the same yeah. kid, and so you can't yeah. see him. Yeah. Really terrible bicycle work on that one <laughs> child. Those two episodes, it's really bad. Uh, and then we've covered a lot of other rabbits. So like good bits, David Tennant. Obviously. David Tennant's entire look and vibe throughout the series. I mean, he re- like is... I really I thought it would take a lot to top. Uh, Serafinovich but like he he's really really good yeah uh, and Michael Sheen is so good like he Michael Sheen is like the only like emotionally true bit of the show feels like to me yeah um and he's really good I like his outfits throughout time um and that's it those are the good bits <laughs> those are all the good bits and the opening titles and the opening titles are so good like he yeah. My pro tip to anyone else ever adapting Good Omens, you do not need to obey the structure of the book, which has loads of stuff happen at the start and then nothing happen for a really long time. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to do it. No, don't let them, <laughs> don't let them fool you. Well, like basically, TV shows are TV shows and books are books, and. If you're making a book into a TV show, you should make it into a TV show and not a book that is a TV show. I think you've said it. Yeah. To abandon ourselves to the eternal return is to live in the awareness of immortality and to accept this awareness as a task to be taken up as we go forward across the limited time that is ours and ours only. All of tenderness springs from there and to love is to affirm life in another in the face of this annihilation. The Eternal Return, Douglas Shields Dix. Strap in. I'll be with you till the end. How many times have you done this? This will be the second time, but we have done it infinitely. Endlessly. This is how it has to be. 
I don't believe anything has to be. <laughs> That's what we always say. You learn. How do you think I knew what to do the first time? Isn't it obvious? How am I supposed to trust you? How much do you trust yourself? So that's good omens, which, like, we do actually like, uh, again, despite its colonial lens, as discussed. <laughs> um, let's just, like, recap on predestination, um, because, as I mentioned, it's something you can spoil, and, like, mm -hmm. we're fully about to spoil it, so, like, y you know, watch it or don't watch it. Um, yeah, I think it's impossible to discuss it without spoiling it, really. Yeah. So yeah, so I'll just um, give like a bit of history for it. So Predestination is like, um, it's adapted from a short story um, called All You Zombies by um, uh, Robert Heinlein. Yeah, so Robert Heinlein, you know, let's say iconic, somewhat problematic sci-fi daddy. Um, yeah, like, you know, yeah, he wrote Starship Troopers, um, but he also wrote um, By His Bootstraps, which is this other time travel story where he kind of becomes the father of the kind of bootstrap paradox like the the time travel idea of like an object traveling through time mm -hmm. where like you have it because you got it in the past but you have it in the past but then you send it back there in the future or whatever do you know what i mean mm -hmm. this kind of objects unmoored from time so this story all you zombies basically is the kind of next step of the bootstrap paradox which like again is also like the idea in it is more famous than the story and the idea is spoilers the idea of becoming your own grandparent right i mean or like your own parent i suppose like but he you he is also his own grandparent and you know all his he is all his relatives so the story follows a temporal agent a like time cop on like one day in his like career uh where he is like in the 1970s posing as a bartender and he essentially tries to recruit this young lad who's in this bar who goes by the name the unmarried mother and so yeah so he's supposed to recruit him to become a temporal agent they get into a whole thing the unmarried mother is called the unmarried mother because he writes advice columns from the women's perspective right so this is the the premise of this is that it's one person who is who was born intersex was born intersex and basically but was like living as a woman met somebody became pregnant had the child after a somewhat traumatic birth wakes up the doctors are like you had the child but like the birth was difficult and we had to operate and like the best course of action was to like use your like male gonads so like you're just gonna have to continue life as a man so they so it's just completely i mean it's a wild thing to do medically speaking yeah but <laughs> anyway so but it's so like you've got this sort of trans character i guess yeah but they don't really have any agency in like becoming trans right yeah and like the character will refer to themselves in the past as a woman and yeah. to themselves currently as a man. So it's not like, you know, whatever would be like a typical 
in air quotes trans journey right sure it's certainly like not what we would think of now yeah I mean it's you don't get the sense that it's like written from a you know let's you know like a trans perspective no it's like hard to talk about in a way that is like sensitive to the way that we currently think about gender transition yeah yeah because the film doesn't treat it with any sort of sensitivity at all yeah it treats transition as this really traumatic thing and it's obviously would be in that context because it's this unwanted Mm -hmm. surgery and unwanted imposition of an identity yeah so our character they're now a male character they're resigned to that that's fine Mm -hmm. um their baby like his baby is stolen Mm -hmm. right and so that sucks Uh, and so then you know he becomes an advice writer in the name of the unmarried mother the baby's never recovered right so the bartender says what if i could put you in front of the man who ruined your life i.e the guy who got you pregnant and ran away and like left you to deal with this awful like you know, circumstance a baby disappearing yeah. on your own. Um, and the unmarried mother's like, yeah, do it, I kill him. And so, and he's like, all right, I'll do it, but afterwards you gotta become a time agent. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's like, gotta be my job. Uh, and he's like, grand, no problem. Um, and so, takes takes him back in time and brings at this moment is like, hey, don't worry he's gonna be here mm-hmm. and who does he meet but his past self as in his female past self sees her instantly as besotted and uh well actually in the short story not instantly as besotted instantly as like have to have sex with myself for some reason yeah uh, so like in the film there's more of a love story angle Yes, yeah. Uh, there's definitely an emotional component and this real... Um, I mean, it's kind of the bizarro version of like when you look back at pictures of yourself and you're like, you know, she wasn't doing that bad. You know, she gave herself a really hard time, <laughs> but actually she's okay. You know, it's like that, but like the dark, the dark side, <laughs> the dark side of that like impulse to be nice to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, taking it a step too far <laughs> taking it a step too far Someone's and what there. if I could date that person <laughs> um, and, and not give them any information about myself Yeah, and then leave them and then ruin pregnant. their life yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah so does this and ruins, ruins his own life and then becomes a time agent um, so like I mean did we say <laughs> did we say spoilers the baby Oh, yeah. yeah, we didn't even get what happened to the baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes and steals the baby. Yeah. Which is him. Yeah. And takes that baby back to the orphanage. And then, bish, bash, bosh, end of the day, goes and has a kip. And it's like, lads, you're the weird ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my story's all tied off in a neat little bowl. Yeah. All of you lot, too confusing. Too too confusing. I, my own mother and my own father, what could be simpler? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what could be simpler? All of my the issues of my life could come down to one day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then I just went on and did my weird job with the background of 
the Fizzle Wars. Mm-hmm. So, the film, there's not that much to the film, Predestination. It's directed by Michael and Patrick Spearig, I want to say. Peter. Uh, there you go. It's directed by Michael and Peter Spearig. Um, it's from 2014. It's got Ethan Hawke um, as, let's say, the bartender, the present day iteration of our time traveller, and Sarah Snook playing the unmarried mother um like yeah in the bar and mm-hmm. and in the past um and but basically the plot of the film is that it expands on this one kind of throwaway line from the short story uh, about the fizzle wars and it invents this terrorist called the fizzle bomber in 1970s new york um so the idea is just like this is kind of the bane of ethan hawk's career like he's trying to he's trying to stop these bombings from happening but every time he stops it on one occasion it just hap- it just happens on a different day basically um and so the film plays out in the same way as the short story like he, blah 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 he introduces his younger selves and he steals the baby and he sets up his loop uh, and then he just like goes on with his job which we never see any of and uh, then he retires and he retires inexplicably to 1970s New York and then he ultimately meets the Fizzle Bomber who turns out to be of course an older version of himself mm-hmm. and yeah the old version of himself tries to convince him that like you know time cops are rubbish and things are just gonna happen and that he's actually saving people by being the fizzle bomber somehow and Ethan Hawke is like screw you and he like shoots old Ethan Hawke so that's that's the film basically right yeah so every character in the film is Ethan Hawke yeah except Annoying, for yeah. like one there's one character who's not Ethan Hawke and that's actually kind of <laughs> annoying because it's like there's two people in the world and like one of them is Ethan Hawke and one of them is this guy who's just like his manager <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty pretty frustrating so I hear my notes on ATCAB um uh, all time cops are bastards um I fully stand by it that's I have serious beef with the end of the film I don't understand it I don't like what it implies mm-hmm. and like I just don't I just well, I don't think there's anything to understand, like, outside of them being like, oh, wouldn't this be a great, like, double twist? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, well, wouldn't it be a better twist if, like, old Ethan Hawke killed young Ethan Hawke? Wow. Because what then? If I embrace you, my own power would crush me. And if you cling to me, I would surely evaporate. Dying lovers do not touch without touching suicide. Cantos for the Crestfallen, pseudo-Leopardi. There are only two people in the universe, and I think that if I knew myself better, I would find that there's only one. I think I knew this before, but the memory has been overwritten. We've done this before, remember? Anyway, if you think about it, it's not really murder. That's easy to say when the blood's not on your hands! But they are my hands. Our hands. No, they're mine. And I won't kill for you. 
Well, too late. It doesn't matter what you did, I'm not going to kill them. It's self-defense. It's self-defense either way. It's much, it's much more explicit in um, Predestination. Yeah. But, so another way that the like love story is integrated is with these recordings. So mm -hmm. it's just part of the like milieu of the film. It's like a really good addition, I think, from the short story is that he makes these recordings about we don't know whether they're about each day but about key points in his life mm -hmm. and all, and kind of let's say leaves them behind him for his past self in the time cop role um so that anywhere he goes he's already been Mm -hmm. so it's almost like yeah so it's almost like he's like leaving them for like a diary that you listen to in advance right so anytime we see him he's like listening to these recordings that he's made um so it's kind of like he's it's almost like he's sending like these love letters back through time you know it's just like attention mm -hmm. so there's that and that obviously ties into a book that you got me Cleva um I think just based on like the cover yeah, um, and the title. And the title, which is The Eternal Return, which like we didn't know was Nietzschean at the time, I don't think. I didn't know anyway. Yeah, so I have this book. Well, I mean, it's actually a set of books. It's incredible. Uh, called The Eternal Return uh, by Douglas Shields Dix. And like, I'm not really getting deep into it because it's not, um, uh, it's not related in terms of like uh, content, but it really had a lot of like thematic links um mm -hmm. it's um about these like researchers uh who are interested in like percy shelley and they're kind of recreating the like physical journey of the, like the last uh year of his life um and kind of discussing his like life and work and the various narratives around it and kind of unpacking the, those narratives so it's kind of there is all this stuff about haunting of places and haunting of kind of stories mm -hmm. um and it is like it is like they're being haunted by these stories about Shelley but also that they're bringing their own stories to these places so I, I think that we ended up talking a lot off mic about place and time um yeah well, I guess just like the idea that you, like if you're in a place that you've been before, there is kind of this element of like being haunted by your past self in that space. I don't know. Like that's just an interesting thing to think about. Like especially if you're somewhere that has like a very strong memory for you in some way, mm. you can really like picture yourself doing whatever you were doing there previously. Yeah. And it kind of gives you this sense of like, oh, if I could, you know, speak back to myself or something like that. Mm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I guess that like, because we don't have time travel, I guess it's like hard mm -hmm. to get into. But like, uh, yeah, I guess that sense of like sympathy through time, you know, because um, mm -hmm. like we know where our past selves have been, but our past selves don't know where we are yeah you know yeah the sense of one-way connection yeah and the kind of 
sadness of that in a way, but also the kind of like the power of kind of the perspective of the future. Yeah. Like you can, you know, act in one direction and sort of interpret in the other direction. Yeah, you can't do both. But it, but yeah, and it's kind of like the the Agnes Nutter stuff. Like it's like these highly specific, um, you know, prophecies because it's like because that's how. It's almost kind of how Agnes is saying, you know, that she's getting these specific pieces of information. You know yeah. what I mean? But from the future, but not seeing the whole. Yeah. So similarly, you know, Enoch is getting these missives from the future. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in a way, I feel like that wasn't like played with enough. Yeah, they don't really go anywhere with it. And that might be a more interesting like ending. Mm-hmm. Also, because Sarah Snook is like really good in the film. Yeah. Um. So like maybe that says more about subverting your destiny you know if we're hearing what's gonna happen and then we're seeing it not happen yeah you know yeah I don't know like it is like kind of the key like difference between the like main characters in each story like he's just like well this is how it's gotta be and you know we're just kind of going through the motions a little bit Whereas they're they're like you know like Crowley and mm. Aziraphale are like pretty much know that the apocalypse is gonna happen, but like they try to stop it anyway. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's like you know, it's obviously like the key bit of the book, and it's also like it, it's the key bit of their character arc because they are the most human at that moment where they decide to like fight the devil. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And Ezreal's like, you know, we have to do this. And mm. like, we can't win. It's like, well, like, we knew that. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think, like, I think that's what happens at the end of Predestination. Yeah. When he, like, shoots himself. Yeah. He, like, realises. Not even realises, but he's just like, it, it's the same thing. It's yeah. like, he knows that he can't really stop it, but, like, he's going to fight against it anyway. And he could just, like, kill himself in the present moment. Yes. But... No, but, but but like that's... no, you're right. Like, because it's like why he couldn't be like lying to himself. It's just like it's, just like, it's clear. It's obviously true. Like yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I think like that's the moment in that story where he decides to fight against fate or whatever. Mm. I just don't know. I don't know if that moment like works for me as well because his like belief in what's right. And wrong just like totally rings so false mm. in that film and rings like as though like it's from his boss you know what I mean it's like I don't know if I almost feel like his him being a fucking terrorist is like truer than what than being like no like this is wrong because <laughs> I spent my whole career like thinking it's wrong yeah well I mean you know the morals of that movie are obviously questionable yeah. given his sexual relationship with himself listen I don't know why you're so hung up on the morality of that it's really upsetting to me it's like weird it's just fucking weird right mm. and then also it's like if you want to leave aside the like fact that he's fucking himself yeah right there's also like that like 
really fucked up power dynamics in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know, where like he holds all the power in that relationship. Yeah. Over his past self. Yeah. Who doesn't have the same experience or knowledge or anything like that. Yeah. Of like, you know. Yeah. It's fucked up. That is fucked up. <laughs> I feel like that's where. And it, and like she doesn't know. Like, he knows that he's fucking himself. Yeah. She doesn't know Yeah. that she's fucking himself. Yeah. And that's like... That's not consent, guys. So, you know. Yeah. I do... I know what you're saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I feel like that's where the, like... The like Nietzsche and like circular thing comes into it. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that like um, everything you do, you'll do endlessly, um, and that in some way that should inform your actions, right? That like because it's like because it's him who has to live it every time. Mm-hmm. That like. Like, he's making a decision he can live with. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like this... Like, I mean, obviously, in a, in a real sense, were that to happen, they'd be a different person. I'd be like, that's a different person. You can't make her decisions for her, right? But, like, mm-hmm. this isn't a story about identity and, like, your decisions. It's like... See, the thing is, so in the short story, it's, it is fucked up. It's fully fucked up. It's like, there's no, it's like, there's no love. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like, oh, couldn't re- resist seducing yourself. It's like, <laughs> that's fucking fucked up. But like the idea that, that like this relationship, even though it led to the, all this like turmoil in, in his life was like still important enough that even now that he knows the truth of it. Mm-hmm like is willing to like go through it and know that he's the reason he went through it yeah um yeah so it's like i'm not yeah, like i'm not saying these are like defensible actions in the real world um <laughs> well yeah I, got, uh, I don't know i don't really have anything else to say about it except that i still think it's fucked up and that's fine well i think it also just makes me sad yeah, it is sad. Do you know? It is really sad. Like, it's... Oh, that movie makes me so sad. Like, fucking... The fucking even older version of himself, like, setting it up. Like, that's so upsetting. Yeah. It's so upsetting. It's like... that, But that's, to me, how... Like, why I'm, like... See it as, like, this relationship must have been important. Do you know what I mean? I don't accept that it's, like... It's just a task he has to do for his job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... That it's like it's the pivotal, like moment in his life, and it's like, no matter how hard it is, again, to go through it a third time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. almost like the third time. It's like, he still will make that choice again, and that's like I don't know. That's I guess that's also where it becomes kind of Nietzsche to me. And it's like, and then with that distance of time, to go, because he's done it as a as a young man, so he like. But with that distance of time to go, yeah, that was the right decision. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like bananas. Like, yeah. Um, but I don't really know if that if at that point he's really thinking about whether it's the right decision or if he's more just like, 
this is how it has to be because it's how it was yeah do you know like his younger self is like giving out kind of about stuff and like it seems like he's just like yeah yeah like I've heard this all before anyway this is how it's gonna be do you know what I mean it's very like like he's given up all kind of agency himself yeah I know what you mean and then like he retires and like yeah it's like this job is fucking ruined and like yeah and, uh, then he retires I mean, and it's it like would. fucking he's like actually you know I actually still love terrorism <laughs> I was like into this time your bureaucracy shit for ages and now back to terrorism for me I think like one of the main things that links these two texts mm-hmm. is the idea of like um loops 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 and like breaking loops right yeah the idea of severing your loop <laughs> <laughs> i'll fucking sever your loop pal just fucking watch it and so so you have like Ethan Hawke killing his future self in a like rejection of inevitability Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and then you also have well like in the radio show obviously it's like way more explicit yeah but you have like Anatma getting the new nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Mm Nutter part two and then Anatma destroys that Mm-hmm. In a sort of rejection of inevitability, it is a like a rejection of like that tie to the past and like the tie to someone speaking to you through time. Yeah, and it's like putting the future, like privileging the unknown, like the future. Um, yeah, over that like nostalgia, or, like that love of the past yeah yeah and like Newt says to her like do you want to be a descendant forever yeah which is such a good line it is a really good line um I don't know it almost like says more about identity than like whether you're your own father or whatever just like yeah because like that's the other thing is like is that like that thing with Ethan Hawke like say we read it it's like of course he goes back a third time because he's like already enthralled to these decisions you know what I mean he's like it has to be this way blah 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 yeah 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 and then it's like do you know what like I can't actually I might not be able to change the past but like I can do what I want right now like you mm-hmm. know like um and similarly like Anath was like enthralled to her like family legacy mm-hmm. it's like you get to decide if you are or not like yeah because the reality is you won't get to do it again there's only what's left of your life before you die (laughs) no more futureless repetition on the treadmill of capital no more submission to the drudgery of labor the xenofeminist manifesto laboria cubonics the future is dead long live the future
You're going to break the time stream, asshole. Are you listening? He's really not going to do it. Fuck. It's almost time. Well, you know what they say. If you want something done right, do it yourself. But don't send your past up to it because he sucks. Uh, anyway, that's about it. Um, would I say we've enjoyed making this podcast episode? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it took us 12 months. I mean, this is like the magic of time travel, right? You know, um, we're living, we're living the themes. We are the themes. So by this point, we have made the thing that hopefully people will have been hearing throughout yeah. the episode. One more bit to come? Question mark? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Definitely like time loops are... A bit of an obsession for both of us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got two tattoos about them um, mm-hmm. from an essay that we wrote about them already. Um, I surely do. And there's so many uh, texts that we started like looking into when we were doing this episode that it became kind of impossible to think of how we were going to like thread them together. Like, I guess we thought about, like, using all of the text, the bits of text that we'd read as, like, a, like, making an essay or something, but then that didn't seem right. Because I think that, I think for both of us, the key difference between Good Omens and Predestination is in their approach to free will in the face of a preordained plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it was like, in a way, kind of what we've done is like, what if free will, like in Good Omens, <laughs> strange noises <laughs> happening here in the flat. Um, but yeah, but I think, I think to an extent, um, we've gone, all right, so what if like time loop with yourself, but with the, either the free will or the kind of like, self-possession of good omens yeah basically and I don't want to say much more about it yeah don't tell us if it doesn't make sense because we don't care <laughs> making sense is Sorry. On almost never our aim <laughs> uh, just listen to it again just yeah, figure it out just keep listening to it until it makes sense or until you get bored I guess yeah or until you go mad. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm Catherine Foyle. And I'm Weaver Doyle. And this is not not the end. What the fuck? It's me. Me. From the recordings, right? Yeah. Shh. It's almost time. Any second now, our future self is going to appear out of thin air. And you're going to have to kill him before he kills you, okay? Where did you put that gun I left you? 
Ah, here it is. What? You just appeared out of thin air. What? You're from the future. And you just appeared out of thin air. Yeah. To make sure you didn't fuck up the time stream, I killed us like you were supposed to. You just fucked up the time stream! What's next? Hello? What's next? <laughs> 